Hello and welcome. This is Story You Talk Radio, and I am your host, Coach Debbie. And I'm here every Thursday, 4 o'clock Pacific Time, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, to help you discover your voice and tell your story. But you know what? It's kind of hard to do when you got critics giving you feedback. So we're going to get into that today because I know most of us that are writing are wanting to know what to do about those critics. It might be that you've enlisted the critics or it might be that you're receiving unasked for advice and critiques. But this much I know, if, uh, if you've been writing for any amount of time less than about 100 years... Uh, It can be just as scary as those ghosts and goblins that are out there tonight trying to deal with them. Kind of takes us back to our our childhood nightmares. But what I want to do is help you reclaim your personal power even when you are standing face-to-face and toe-to-toe with a critic. And what I'm really going to try to help you do is understand the job of the critic and then of course, come into what you can do as the writer. And you may say, well, you know, I'm not actually working on any writing right now, but I sure come up against critics at job sites, in the home, at the school, wherever. Well, this show is for you as well, because I'm with you. I find critics just about anywhere I go. But you know what? I've rolled up my sleeves and I have found some technique for holding them back. And I've found a lot of technique for applying the ointment to the stings and getting on to my way of better health after meeting up with a critic. So all that is available for you today. You might have a story around this, a situation that's happened to you And I would love to hear from you. I'd be happy to walk you out of the dark side and back into the light where your personal power lives. You can call me up. If you're local here in the Seattle area, just call 425-373-5527. Or for those of you that are not local, we are at 888 298 Five five six nine, which is also eight 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 two nine eight KKNW. Yeah. So just a little bit of housekeeping for you. As we close down October, those of you who are serious writers, you know what's coming up tomorrow, don't ya? It's called NaNoWriMo, and it stands for, I always mess it up, National Writers Month, mm, yeah. It Anyway, it's this fancy thing that I didn't create, obviously, but I do my own. The fancy thing is that you write 50,000 words in November. Yeah, we're not going to do that one. We're going to do one that's just a little more reasonable and more in keeping with what I am able to keep up with. So if you want to join me, I'm going to be posting on my Facebook page the NaNoWriMo Challenge. So here's how it goes. For 30 days, just like the big one, we are going to write. And you're going to decide if you are a a seven-day-a-week writer or a a six-day-a-week writer or at minimum a a four-day-a-week writer. So at least four days a week to participate. And I mean it, every week in November. And this is my challenge. If you you think you can write seven days a week, that's what I'm going for, you want to be producing three pages a day. And that's going to bring you to 90 pages at the end of the month or thereabouts. 90 pages is a good amount of writing. Yeah, because... If you checked lately, many of those self-publishing books, they're just beyond 100 pages. If you got 90 pages of a good solid draft out in November, 
How fantastic would you feel? Well, I would feel great. So that's why I'm going to do that one. But if six days a week sounds more like your speed, I want to challenge you to write two pages a day. And that means at the end of the week, you're going to have 12 pages. At the end of two weeks, you're going to have 24. At the end of four weeks, you're going to have 48. At the end of the month, you're going to have about 52 to 55 pages of writing. Not bad. Not bad at all. If you're a a six-day-a-week writer, go for that. And if you're thinking, you know, it's more like every other day for me, all I'm going to say is commit to a minimum of four days a week, four pages a shot. So that's 16 pages a week. That's, mm, math is going to get tricky for me now, 32 pages in two weeks, 64 pages in four weeks' time, or about 75 pages at the end of the month. So what's it going to be for you? 55 pages? 75 pages? 90 pages. Doesn't matter. But what I want you to do is follow me in November for the challenge. Because as you follow me, I'm going to be getting to know you. And as I get to know you, I'm going to put your name in a drawing. And I'm going to draw someone to get a free coaching session of your final version. So however many pages you go for, the 55, the 75, the 90, we're going to get together at the end of that and go over it. And will I critique you? Only in the most loving way ever. Yes. All right. So that's my challenge to you. Participate in my November NaNoWriMo month. And we too, we don't have to do 50,000 words. Who said that? that? That's kind of intimidating. But I'll tell you this. 90 pages, that's an awful lot of words. So if you get that done, if you get 55 pages done, look, if you get 10 pages done, your writing. And that makes me happy. All right. So that's what I've got for you. To find me on Facebook, go to my professional page, Coach Debbie, D-E-B-B-Y. Go to my personal page, Debbie Handrich, D-E-B-B-Y. Handrich is just like it sounds. H-A-N-D-R-I-C-H. And for the purposes of this show, just head on over to the personal messenger side and send me a text. Let me know, what do you want to share with me about critics? How can I support you today? Because like I said, if you have ever come face-to-face with a critic, it can be just as scary as the ghosts and the goblins of your childhood nightmares. And I don't want you to be stuck there. I want to help you tame that fear and reclaim your personal power. It might be interesting to you to understand what's going on when a critic actually does their work. what's, What's on their side of the fence, right? A critic is someone that is there to help you improve. Now, it might not feel like it, but that is their job. They are employed as a critic to help those who come to them or those that they go to improve. And they try to help you improve at your craft of writing or your particular job or maybe even a particular behavior. But truly, that's their job. And a critic tends to think you want to create or to transform whatever you've created and know every little bit of possible feedback they can offer to better you so you can better your craft. That's the mind of the critic. 
But let me tell you, when we are standing there listening to the critic, reading that red scripted ink that came back on our writing, oof, it doesn't feel like they're trying to help us improve. Feels like they're digging our grave, right? Feels like we're going to die any minute. That's always been my experience. And I know I'm not alone here because I was a teacher of community college for 20 years. I tutored writers one-on-one for nine years. I worked for the city helping writers in municipal court. I know that people come face-to-face with a critic all the time, and they're not thinking, oh, this person just wants me to be better. Oh, they just want me to craft a better written speech. Oh, they just want me to improve. They just want to see my behavior go up. Uh Uh-uh. That's not what's going through the mind. There's fear. There's this anxiety. There's sometimes wiggling in the knees. And if it gets real bad, heart palpitations. And I don't have any uh, research on it, but I bet you there have been people that have had massive, massive reactions (laughs) health-wise, maybe even rushed to ER after dealing with a critic. But usually it's because they're not aware of what the critic's job is and how they can pick up and move forward after they've come face-to-face with the critic. I read in a Forbes article not too long ago by a visiting psychologist that we need five positive events to make up for the psychological effects of just one negative event. So in other words, if you have submitted an essay, let's say, and you were criticized on that essay, and you walk away feeling like this was a really negative event, therefore you're going to need another five really good ones before that one heavy one gets lighter and you start to feel your power again. That's what one visiting psychologist said in her article to Forbes magazine. You know what? I think that's about right. I think when I have felt knocked down to my knees, it's taken a good amount of conjuring to get me back up. It's not just a, oh, come on, let's go. Mm -mm. When you're down on the ground, you need a lot of help. So that's what we're going to be focusing on here today. What's the job of the critic and how can you work with them and find your personal power. So again, I want to invite you to write in to me. I'll be giving you live coaching right here. You can either call in at 888-298-5569 or our local number is 425-373-5527 and you can write to me on Facebook in the personal messaging in the very, very, very back. Here's a little something that came through when I was taking a mastermind course. Last mm, June or so, Robert Holden from Hay House Radio was sharing an experience he had after publishing his book in 2014. The book is called Lovability, I've read it forwards and backwards and upside down. I've listened to the Audible. I stick it right up there as one of the number one books I will remember on my deathbed. It has had that much impact on me. I I cannot say enough about it. And yet he received this bit of criticism on his Amazon account. One person said, this book is candy cane pink coating talk candy cane pink coated talk yeah we don't want to hear that after 250 pages of writing the good news is my guess is this isn't really one of his followers this is someone who might have read a word or two a page or two maybe a chapter and then put on his critical hat 
and said that this is all candy-coated stuff, when actually it's, it's backed with research and years of experience and human lab and all that to go with it. But a critic came along and said this. Now, Robert had a few books already under his belt. He had already been on the New York Times bestselling list. But he shared in the mastermind with a lot of vulnerability that his first reaction was to say, OMG, and laugh. But very quickly, he said, I thought this might bring me to tears. If it hadn't been for my wife who took a look at the screen and started to laugh with me, I don't know where I'd be today. Again, it takes five positive critiques to overcome that one negative one. This famous writer started to go down after just one critique on his book. He had a lot of other good critiques right there. He could have looked at any of them. But this negative one, it was just glaring in red ink in front of him. So we all need ways to deal with this because critics show up unasked for. They show up as a surprise. They show up while we're in the middle of a dinner party. They show up in the mailbox. They show up anywhere. They might just even tap us on the shoulder while we're riding the city bus and say something. They might come running down the street and say something. You don't know when you're going to come face to face with a critic, but if you have the tactics to understand a critic and deal with them, you will rise back into your personal power. And I would bet a little sooner than having to endure five more positive effects Yeah, that's my take on it. We're going to take a quick break. I want you to send in your questions, and we are going to tackle criticism. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Kathy Cooper, and every Wednesday from 1 to 2 p.m., I'll be hosting Lost and Found be discussing all types of losses, but it's not going to be the doom and gloom hour. It'll be an hour of education, support, validation, and yes, we will have a little bit of humor. So won't you join me Wednesdays, 1 to 2 p.m., Loss and Found, because every loss matters, and through every loss, something can be found. Easy on the ears, good for the soul. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. If you're just tuning in, I am your host, Coach Debbie, as always, every Thursday at 4 o'clock p.m., 7 o'clock Eastern Time. And we are talking about criticism today. And we're talking about how to meet up with criticism so that you find yourself back in your personal power sooner rather than later. One thing you got to think about here is the standpoint of the critic. The critic has a job to do, and that is to make you better. So if you can understand that, you have a much better chance of moving back into your personal power sooner. So I'm going to make a few suggestions here. One is so important, and that is if you are writing, Or if you are wanting feedback, you need to be really careful who you put your delicate draft to task with. If you take your piece of writing and you're not thoughtful about who you've assigned to read this, well, all I can say is you're on your own. (laughs) You're on your own because anything could come back. And don't be fooled. By the idea that, well, I grew up with this person, or, well, this is a close family member, or, well, she's been my friend for years. Don't even be fooled by, this is my spouse. No. Even the loving spouse 
might say something that can bring you to your knees. Is this person on the side that you're on, which is to make your piece of writing great, to make the story you're living by great, to make your project great? Is that what they're up to? And can you take it if right away their style of making you great is harsh, you know? It's full of words that you just can't hear and you want to sit back and go, la, 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 I'm not listening. Both fingers in the air, la, 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 la. The whole point was to get feedback. So who can you choose? Who can you trust to read your stuff? If you've ever had a bad experience with a teacher, you might be trying to have five good teachers before you ever let someone read your work again. I can tell you this, when I have been in the college classroom and giving assignments, and I find that there are two or three students that just aren't turning in their homework, (laughs) I know that in their, you know, somewhat recent past, they received criticism, and they're afraid to let me see their work. They haven't been built back up yet to trust that they are going to be handled carefully. So when you decide whose hands you're going to put your draft in, think about this. Think about what do you want them to critique you on? And can you trust them to do that? Often writers have writers groups they go to. And when I lead writers' groups, I have critical agendas that we are to follow. You know, one is say the first top three things you love about this piece of writing. So that's three possible positive things right out of the gate, right there. What are three things you love about this piece of writing? Uh, I might say something like, what is one thing that you especially related to. I might say, what is one area that you think no matter what, one sentence, one word, one something, that they absolutely must not change it because it had impact on you? And then, what is one area of advice or suggestion that you can offer to this writer? And you got to be thoughtful here. Critics sometimes fail to be thoughtful. I know, I know. I just told you they are in the job of making us better. That's what they're here to do. But we all appreciate a thoughtful critique. And a thoughtful critique might, might start out gentle, get a little more detailed, and end gently. We call this the sandwich effect. So a critique could go like this. I really enjoyed the ending of your story, although it felt just a little bit rushed. I wonder if in your second draft, you could tell me a little bit more about what happened to the dog. Ah, guess what? That's a critique. That's a critique. It's gentle, but it gets to the point, right? We liked the ending. We want to know more, and we're suggesting one way to do it. Yeah, that's a critique. Didn't hurt so bad, right? If that was your piece of writing, you would have survived it. You want to put your writing in the hands of people that know how to do that. Unless, of course, you want to hear something like this. Yeah, your story was really going great, and then I got to the end. What happened, man? (laughs) I read something like that once. It was a peer-to-peer piece of writing, and I had to get out my whiteout and, and cross it out because it was just so cold. You don't say, what happened, man? (laughs) That's not fair. You're dealing with someone's first draft. You're there to help them improve, not to question them. So it's not really 
it's not really good critiquing when someone starts questioning what you have done as a writer. However, it's very good critiquing to say, it feels like the ending got rushed, or I had a harder time following you at the ending than I did in the middle or the beginning, or I would like to know more about your main character at the end, or... I really enjoyed the description you used in the beginning. Could you use that level of description again at the end? These are critiques. Why do they you know, qualify as a critique? Because they're statements that help a person grow and do a better job. And that's what a good critiquer <laughs> does. That's what a good critic does. Critiquer. I like that word. That's what a good critic does. They lay out the information for you in a way that you can handle it, but also in a way that's going to help you grow. If it's too soft, you won't hear the nudge. If it's too harsh, you won't ever write again. And that's not your goal. Your goal is to stay in the game. So think about this. Who are the people in your life that you can trust? Think about that while I get some water. I used to be married years ago to a very, very prolific writer. He wrote every single day. He got up at 5.45 in the morning. He sat down with his cat, and the whole house had to be dead quiet until 9.45, sometimes 10. I am not kidding. It was expected as if I was the child in that house, that I was not to make a sound, and I didn't. I didn't. I knew that part of the reason he was so good at his craft was because he relied on the quiet so that he could hear himself think. And there were times when I would just wrestle my way down to another part of the house and out the front door early so I wouldn't have to try to be so darn quiet. But what I came to understand was he had a system. Ooh, such a good system. He knew who he could trust to read his work. And it wasn't always me. And I had to learn to not get my little feelings hurt that he wasn't asking me to critique something that he had just written. In fact, what I learned was he would ask for my critique when he believed the piece of work was done. Now, this is a really good technique for the skilled writer. You take your piece of, of draft to the people you trust, your writing group, uh, your writing pal down the street, your friend in the class, your teacher, your advisor, whoever that is, you take your drafts to them. But then these people that um, are in your family, that you're in love with, that you work with, whoever, you bring stuff to them when you feel finished and when you feel strong. Because to some degree, you really, really respect what they have to say, but you want to be standing in your own personal power before you hear what they say, and you want to feel like it's finished. I can leave it finished if I don't agree with them. Sometimes when John would bring me a piece of his writing, I'd say something like, you know, I really love this. My only question was, I don't know what lacrosse is. And he would tell me, and I'd say, oh, interesting. I've, I never heard of, of that sport. I, I, kind of, I kind of lost the visual when I saw that. But other than that, I love what you've written. I, I can see the players on the field. I can see the blood. I can see why the mother was shaken. And I can see the purpose of, of playing with... Um, with this other team. And, you know, we'd get into conversation about what this, this story was in the poem. And yet he knew he was safe because it felt finished to him. He wanted to know what I had to say, 
But truth be told, he didn't want to know what I had to say until he felt strong. And it stayed that way. And I came to respect that. His critics, the people that he went to, were in his writing group. That was perfectly fine. Totally fine. I also came to know that since he was a far better cook than me, anytime I was cooking, I would ask someone else for advice. (laughs) It works both ways. You know, if you don't want to be criticized, be careful who you ask to read your work. Another thing I want to share with you is that you are really your own caretaker when you come face to face with a critic. You know, they might lodge a stinger in you, but it is up to you to apply the ointment. It's not up to you to push the stinger in deeper. And again, I want to say, I don't think critics do their job to hurt us. I don't think a critic is trying to sting. I just think that sometimes what is said lands in us as a stinger. It can hurt a bit. But we, we make it worse. We make it worse by pushing that stinger in deeper. We make it worse by, by not gently dislodging that stinger and bringing the cooling ointment to it. We, as the writer, get very, very quickly offended. I want to say it's almost in our genes that, you know, if, if you're more than a few years old, you've already experienced things that hurt. And so anytime, anything that feels like a stinger comes your way, those old memories get conjured up and you don't want to be there again. But we do. We push that stinger in a little deeper. We have a habit of making things worse before we make it better. I'm a pro at it. Someone can give me eight glowing comments, one difficult comment, and then wrap it up with another glower. And I'm going to sit there and look at that one difficult comment for a little while and think, hmm, how can I grow? How can I make this better? What should I do? And I might even think, why did they say that? Why did they say that? I thought I did a better job than that. Why did they see it that way? That's me pushing the stinger in. Those why questions, ouch, they usually don't serve. They usually cause more pain. So think about it. Become the partner with the critic and ask yourself, when you're looking at their feedback, How can I use this to grow? If their comment feels like it's pushing you down, brush yourself off, clean yourself up, apply that ointment, and ask, how can I let this help me grow? Otherwise, wow, you're just not using that critique to your best efforts. We have a question here from Abby. Abby says, thank you for offering this topic. A lot of people don't want to talk about getting critiqued. I, however, have been hurt very badly in the past by critics, and I still feel hurt by some of my family members. In fact, I left a job due to a nasty critique long ago. I wonder... How do we get over the old critiques, the ones that play around in our head at 4 o'clock in the morning? Do you know what I'm talking about here? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I do. And, and here, uh, Abby, uh, Abby, who wrote in, Abby, yes, I do know what you're talking about. It is at 4 o'clock in the morning when these nasty stories come back. But, Abby, even at 4 o'clock in the morning, you are the caretaker of your experience. 
So one thing you want to do is meet that experience with the best sort of ointment that you have. If it's an old stinger, I'd meet it with that and say, I know, I know that this old wound started long ago, but it's really my job to grow here. It's really my job to know that while I have a history in this area, whatever that area is for you, Abby, that you are here to grow. Not to sit with it, not to mull it over, not to wonder why, not to get scared, not to quit another job, not to fail to be in another writer's group. Whatever it is, Abby, I didn't get much detail about where that original wound was, but, you know, you're wise for, for understanding that it is an original wound. It's a long-ago wound, and you want to meet that with the best ointment that you can. How might you solve this by cooling the wound, by realizing that it was just one person's opinion long ago? They're not here now. And if you need to, if they were here now, is there something you could say from a more adult voice, from a less wounded voice? Is it possible that you could say, I wasn't able to take that criticism way back there. I thought you weren't on my side. I didn't understand your job as a critic was to make me better, but now I do. So I'm going to think about what you said, and I'm going to think about how I can apply your advice. How about something like that? See how that serves you, and circle back and let me know. And for the rest of you, if you have a question, we will be back after our next break to address anything about criticism. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Marilyn Milano. If you love animals, then please check out my new show, Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays from 9 to 9.30 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. I'll be talking with rescue groups, animal advocates, and other organizations that help animals, sharing their stories, and giving our listeners some tangible ways in which they can help make a difference. That's Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Raising awareness, touching hearts, and saving animals' lives. Exploring new territory every day. This is Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back. This is Story You Talk Radio. And we are talking about those gnarly critics out there in the world that when they take a look at our writing, our speeches, our life cycles, our careers, or anything at all, sometimes they say things that hurt, or as we were saying earlier, that sting. And it's really up to us to find the ointment that's going to go to work at this and help us feel better. Sometimes what we have to realize, too, is that when you're a good writer, you are attracting criticism. Did you know that? People are attracted to your good writing, and most people are not trained to hold back on their little critiques. Mm -mm. I mean, they might begin with all kinds of affirmation, and that's something we love, right? Affirm me. Affirm that what I've written helps you. Affirm that it was worth my time. Affirm that I did well. But... Then that little thing slips out that they say. And we go, hey, what, what, huh? What was that? What, you, you thought I should have, what? You, you thought, and they realize they've done it. And they go, oh, no, no, it was, it was fine. And you want to kill them, right? <laughs> you think, you, you don't even, you don't even respect the ad- amount of time it took to write this. But, hey, didn't it start with all their affirmation? Didn't the writing from the very beginning attract them to tell you how great it was? Sure it did. 
So you got to remember, great writing attracts people to both affirm and criticize. Yet it is very difficult when we receive what I often call the unasked for advice. This is the person standing in front of you. Oh boy, they're sharing that comment and you don't want to hear it. You know what can work so well? It's just such a nice boundary is to just say thank you or I see and nod and be done with it and move on. Move on. You didn't ask for it. You don't have to fight. You don't have to stick your dukes in the air and take them down. You don't have to practice your best left hook on them. You can just say, ah, thank you. Good. Good to know. And shut it down. No reason to listen to a critic that you have not enlisted. No. Because remember, we talked about earlier, it's up to you to find those people that you want to put your hard-worked draft. Who are those hands? Who are those people? If someone comes along and says, oh, guess what? I, I heard you were writing this and I wanted to tell you that you, you just say thank you and move on. Move on before that stinger makes its way in. But if you don't, if that stinger does get in, remember, you have the ointment. You can go head to head with what they've said. Meet it. Not drive that stinger in and help yourself feel better. Because remember, if they're a good critic, they're saying that because they want to help you grow. If they're just a conversationalist critic, you don't have to listen. You can shut it all down. All right, one more thing I want to share with you that often happens to people when they're writing is that they stop writing because they heard something that hurt and they think, my days, my days are over. So I just want to read to you this little thing that came in. Here we go. Um, this is from an author that I interviewed about four or five years ago. And when we were in the green room, she shared something with me that was just very, very personal. She went on to write a book on, on healthcare and her experience, but she said that when she did the book signing, few of her in-laws came. And one thing they had not known about her is that years before, she had been quite obese. And she was led to the healthcare industry because her symptoms had become very bad. She also healed her body. But during her book signing, publicly, she felt very criticized by one particular in-law. And she asked me, you know, was it because this person is now related to me? Was it because it was my first book? You know, why? Why did this hurt so bad? I had already written my story. I had already overcome this terrible time. Why do you think it fell on me so bad? And I rattled off a lot of things just right out of the gate. I mean, for one, when you're dealing with a true story, you're in a very vulnerable place. When you're dealing also with an episode that you've overcome, you're, you're dealing now with your life path, your heroic journey, and how you have dealt with your situations. You're also dealing with who is the new me? Who am I now that I no longer have this condition? And can I be threatened in this new skin that I'm living in? But her book in general was a huge risk-taking endeavor because as a doctor, she was not only sharing all the ways that a person could rival their poor health, but she was being very vulnerable about her own narrative 
and telling us how she, for many years, had been stuck and how she rivaled it. And now at the book signing, there was this in-law who made a comment publicly, and it hurt, and it felt very critical, and the stinger went in. Now, one thing that I didn't know early on when I was dealing with authors and and authors especially that were doctors was that when you have all that credential behind you, I mean, really, my assumption was it doesn't hurt anymore. But she blew that right out of the gate and said, oh, no, <laughs> this, this, was, this was a new family member. This was someone I thought I had a new bond with and the comment landed harsh and and I as she put it she didn't think she could publicly overcome it well I know how that feels too being a teacher and the the critiques that even students have said in the classroom and what a what a harsh sting that can be and you have to find your way on your feet to overcome this. But I want to remind you, part of the reason that any of us are scared is because we're often dealing with true story, vulnerable story, a heroic journey, a long-lived path. We're dealing with a situation where we took a lot of risk. All of that All of that is reason to resist the critic, especially if we fail to see that the critic is trying to help us. Now, I don't think that those naysayers out there in the audience are really trying to help us. I don't think they've given it much thought at all. But if you are a writer, you're going to have to come face to face with editors, publishers, maybe even an agent, maybe even a writing coach like myself. I like to think of myself as a very gentle administrator of criticism, but it is in my job description as coach to administer critiques. One thing I have had to think about over and over and over again is that I am never, ever critiquing someone's identity. And you as a writer, you may feel right now that part of the reason critiques have left you feeling like you're dancing with the scary ghosts and goblins is because the critique landed on you as a sacrifice to your identity. A good critic knows they are not putting your identity to slaughter. No way. A good critic wants you to grow. They want to help you transform. They want to offer their best advice. They're thoughtful. Many times you will not come face to face with a high quality critic. You will be infused with some sort of stinger. And it is up to you to follow through and figure out how can you bring some solve to that stinger? How can you mend that? What message must you meet so that you can grow, so that you can hear the real message of the critic? If that critic thought you couldn't take it, they never would have said it. And that's part of being a professional. A true professional critic will never critique you in a way that they don't believe you can grow. They're there to help you grow. So if they don't think you can take it, they're not going to offer it. Over and over again, as a teacher, I would think about what are three things I can offer my student. Three things to grow with. That's a reasonable number. If I saw ten things that I thought they could improve, I would pick the top three. 
if that student came to my office and said, wow, I only need to work on these three things? I thought this essay didn't go so well. I would say, well, I'd love to see you work on these three things. If you happen to find you're ready for one more, we can look for another thing. But it was not in my best interest ever. And it never would have come out naturally to say, yeah, there's 10 things you could work on. Get to it. No, that's not my job. My job as their teacher, as their coach, as the one critiquing their work, is to help them grow. So I find what is manageable to help them grow. I put in the good words to help them grow. I'm thoughtful about what to say to help them grow. I try to find out about their past experience with critics because I want them to grow. And I always keep in mind, this is not about one's identity. And because I have the advantage of working as someone who critiques others, well, you might think I can take criticism really well. And guess what? I take criticism poorly. <laughs> I go down quickly. I raise my eyebrows really fast. But I have a lot of practice knowing that I had better find the solve. I had better apply the ointment because it is not my job to give up my writing career. It's my job to grow. It's my job to put those scary ghosts and gremlins to bed. It's not my job to have 365 days of haunted houses. Not at all, especially on this day that we celebrate the haunted house. Just one little day a year of criticism for a lot of us is plenty. But if you can practice the way to meet that critical sound and know you are not being taken down personally, you're being lifted up as a writer. You're being encouraged to grow. This is not about your identity. This is about your heroic path as a writer. So take that in. If you have more to share with me, I will accept those emails, those Facebook PMs. I would be happy to offer you personal coaching advice. Until next Thursday, be well, and I'll meet you right back here. Namaste. Namaste.